Hey, I'm Lily Sloan back with another episode of Infrequencies from BFF.fm. I think it's fair to say a community is only as healthy and thriving as its art scene. Just as our personal health depends on our ability to express ourselves across a broad emotional spectrum and as part of the larger socio-political conversation, maybe even as much as we need vitamin C to ward off scurvy. I know for me, art, community, and the places those two intersect, they're what drive my will to survive during such challenging times. So since this season of the show is all about shining a light on some wonderful artists who visited our live shows and the DJs who've interviewed them, we would be remiss not to include this January 2018 interview with Bay Area music legend John Vanderslice. Besides making a ton of music, John is the owner of Tiny Telephone, a recording studio he founded in 1997. Sadly, the San Francisco space closed this past July, but his Oakland studio is alive and well. This interview takes us on a tour of some of the challenges and joys of creating a space that's become so important to the indie music scene in the Bay Area and well beyond. How do you hold on to your values to have a fair and equitable organization that supports artists in one of the most expensive cities in the world? John visited the studio to sit down with DJ Nino of Espresso Sesh, and what resulted was an engrossing conversation about music, politics, gentrification, community, and mental health. And heads up, this interview does contain a brief mention of depression and suicidal thoughts. Let's dig in. John Vanderslice. Welcome, John. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, my friend. I remember meeting you long, uh, back in the day, probably it was 2013. Yes. Uh, I was a student uh, and uh, we at CCSF, City College of San Francisco, shout out. That's yes. great. Yeah. And the great instructor, Dana Jay, brother. Yeah, us. she's fantastic. I love she's her. She's great. Like, shout out to Dana Jay. She brought the students, the recording students to, to visit some studios, no? And uh, so when was the time for Tiny Telephone? She told us, you know, Tiny Telephone is a great place. It's unique because they are obsessed with uh, vintage gear. They are restoring gear. They are picking up stuff and they do analog recording on tape. So we went there uh, with a bunch of, like the classmates, no, with the whole class. And you t- took us for a tour in the studio, and you were so nice with us. No, oh, like, that's great. You were al- also answering the most like dumb question, man. <laughs> like stuff like if you play, <laughs> if you press a record, it, it does record stuff like that. You were like so nice. And then like uh, when I got home, no, I was checking in like who you were, no. And then I figured out that you just released an album that was like uh, we started with the song. Uh, uh, how the West was born yeah. from uh, uh, Dagger Beach. Yes, it was 2013. Yes, and uh, and that was your last album, no? Yes, because uh, I was reading that uh, uh, touring for that album, you yes. had an accident uh, in the highway. Probably it was Ohio somewhere. Yeah, it was in Ohio, but it was an accident only in my brain. Like we had a near miss on the freeway, and I decided never to tour again. Yeah, it wasn't like a sad thing. It felt lucky, you know. Like we almost had an accident on the eighty, and it, I thought it was extremely close call. And and if you tour a lot, you have a lot of close calls, and you become extremely immune to like 
you know, we had a an eighteen wheeler push us off into the shoulder once, like at maybe like eighty miles an hour. So you just get completely blasé about near death experiences on the freeway. But this one was a kind of a cut above, and I, I just thought, you know, I, I had a good run, and also to work, I wanted to work on other people's records. It, that's like in some ways more fun than doing your own record. It doesn't have the sense of of terror that you have when you're working on your own material. And also you are less uh, emotionally attached. Oh yeah, somebody it's great. Else, so you can be more like objective. And you're like a porn. You're in a porn movie as yeah. opposed to like in love. Do, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's a it's a mercenary, but beautifully mercenary because when you finish the record, you know that that band's in for like one to two years of like extremely intense, you know, mar- marketing, strategizing, and all this other like. Can I cuss? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. All this other bullshit that like. It's great unless you've, you're burned out on it. You know what I mean? And I was just burned out, you know. And so it's kind of amazing that you're there for, like, the crucial part of it, the creation of permanent content material. And and then the band kind of slugs it out on the road. And And it's interesting because sometimes that's frustrating. If the band doesn't do enough or if they kind of, like, they fuck up certain parts of it, which happens all the time. I mean, we'd make a killer record and then someone would use like the wrong pressing plant or the wrong mastering engineer even though we would like beg them not to and or the sequence was just you know like loopy but 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 then the the reverse happens where someone just kills it they go out there and they 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 work their ass off and they build something and then they come back to you and they're a much bigger band that feels that's amazing so it's really it's different yeah, also definitely uh, because you have an experience that you can share with somebody that is like on the first uh, like approach to yes. recording and and you can you have like the the know how you have you know how to really like but, guide them and direct as a producer should. But, but you, know? you know what's interesting with that is that sometimes your the experience is really negative. Actually, like you do you, you get these kind of calcified pathways in your brain where you're like, oh, I know how this should go. I know what should happen to this song or like, I don't think that this idea introduced by the bass player is that clever, but you could be totally wrong. That's the thing. You have to be really careful because, like, experience be- can 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 equal conservatism in a certain way. And it can – you need, like, a fearless craziness and an also, like, a you need to be in the unknown, I think, a lot when you're making records. That's when the exciting stuff happens. And so sometimes I would find that my experience and my – also, my familiarity with the process could be a negative, actually. So you, you have to be really careful about not being too comfortable or confident about what you know. Or maybe not to guide too much. Like yes. Leave some, uh, not some... to guide too much and not to also be sure that you know where you're going, you know. It's also, you know, like for, a, for an artist, a producer, shape the sound for that moment. Yes. But probably, you know, it's uh, an artist is... A, constantly evolving yes and they should need, be they should be, be yeah should be you know yeah so you know probably sometimes they want to do to and want to search something different yes. it doesn't matter on the producer man yes. don't get me don't yes. get me but it's it's funny because bands assume that producers don't get invested do you know what i mean like they assume because you work with so many bands but you can get incredible. Like when yeah. I was working with producers, I always wondered, I was like, hmm, am I just like another like paycheck for them or do they really care? And then you find out like slowly that like you, that it's a, it's a really intense, very vulnerable relationship because, you know, you're in a room with someone for 12 to 30 days and you get really close to them. 
he also like reading some interviews you you gave like in the past days years or like months you were talking about uh you know you get into a kind of, kind of a physical space proximity yes. With, yes. with your artists you are producing with and also i mean you are always super kind i mean since uh, the first time i met you like you are always a kind but you also you are very direct to, to people that are not kind no? so yes. you, you can be like I mean, you're not kind to everyone. You are kind yes. to kind people, no? Like, so if yes. you also you also decided to don't work with somebody yes. just because they left you like a rude message on the voicemail or stuff like oh, that. Oh, yeah, I no? do that all the time. I mean, I, I grew up in the South, so I believe yeah. that there should be a baseline of politeness, oh, politeness. for sure. Especially probably in the music industry, on the higher level, like you kind of lose this kindness, no? Like there are artists that are like... Actually, I, I would say this, What you know, it's, it's a little counterintuitive because I didn't quite see this coming, but... When you work with people who have some success, they're, they're actually like their career is going. They get really nice. The young bucks are the ones that are the biggest pain in the ass. It's the bands that have this delusional thing about where their career is and where it's going. Those are the definitely the only problems we have in the studio. If I can think of like the problem bands that we've had over the studio, it's never the big, never the big bands. I mean, there was that one exception that I wrote about in, in the AV Club, but that's very, very rare. And you know, his band was lovely. It yeah. was just him, yeah. you know? And so, but that's very, very, very unusual. I mean, it's like notably unusual, but like if we work with like really big bands, I mean, it's just like we had Boz Skaggs in the, in the o- Oakland studio um, a little while ago. And like, oh, he was a lovely, lovely gentleman. I mean, it's like, when bands have success and they're touring, they're out there slugging it out in, in like internationally, like they come back as like kittens. You know what I mean? Like the, because they've gotten it, their ego is placated. You know what I mean? They've gotten it out. I mean, I'm yeah. sure that like, listen, Van Morrison's supposed to be, be insanely abusive, Paul Simon. I'm sure there's exceptions out there. But I think that in my experience, when I'm hanging out with ballers, they're like really, really sweet. Cool. That's good. That's good to hear because you know yes, we <laughs> you, need that. You, you'll never know. You'll never know. So yeah, you know, probably uh, overall make a better record if uh, there is a, a good relationship between the producer and the artist. No, absolutely. There's no the workflow and there's nothing interesting or creative about an asshole in in the room. <laughs> like nothing. It's like I mean, the thing is that art people are like, well, art's supposed to be difficult, and you're and it's like, well, dude, it's difficult. I mean, even if you're like, I mean. It's painful, regardless of how nice people are to each other. So it doesn't—you don't have to pile it on. You know, it's going to be really brutal. <laughs> yeah. Did you uh, know where you were going when you start, like twenty years ago, Tiny Telephone? No, no, I had no idea. And I mean, the name of the game in the Bay Area, unfortunately, is the relationship with your landlord. That's what it comes down to. Unless you're like ultra rich and you own a building, then you're just—it's just like you're. That's a different category. That's such a surreal relationship. I can't really imagine that. But if you are just like a normal artist that needs Class C warehouse space, then your future is completely dependent on your landlord. That's why I have a song called "To the To the uh, Landlords of Tiny Telephone" on the on my last record. the The funny thing is, is that they actually they've been great to me, but they aggressively so- tried to sell the complex where Tiny. There's two studios in the San Francisco complex it's called the farm it's kind of famous because there was a lot of um 
Survival Research Laboratories was there. There's a lot of really interesting artists down there. It's like right, it's connected to Petrero del Sol Skate Park right around 25th and Petrero, just south of General Hospital. And that area has been so, um, it's a system of four buildings and it's just been like filled with weirdos and artists for 30 years. And they used to have punk shows down there. And it was called the the venue was called the farm, and it was totally lawless. I mean, it still is somewhat lawless, but they they aggressively tried to sell the complex in 2014, so a year after I dedicated a song to them on on the record. And I love them; they're great people, and and they're like doing the best they can. They have the same pressures as we do. You know, they're they're actually trying to survive in, an, in a completely insane place, and and that area, you know, that where the where the high where the freeways. Cross, you have like Cesar Chavez and Petrera Avenue. It's called the Hairball. So it's like a really, really famous place for the cops because there's so much trouble down there. And so it's pretty, I would say it's day to day. I mean, right now there's a guy named Angelo Valdez who's like stalking the building and the area claiming that he owns the farm. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, like, I mean, it's so surreal. He's actually like, I like him and he, he's clearly mentally ill and we, we really talk to him respectfully and we engage with him. We're very, very close to a lot of homeless people that live on San Bruno, but Angelo will, will have like real physical altercations with other homeless people that we know. So, I mean, there's cops there. We're, we're involved with really intense stuff because of the kind of vulnerability of the population and the confusing setup down there. there's a lot of bike chop shops there's some a lot of meth and then there's some people who are just really really need a place to sleep so we're we're actively involved in that every day it's an issue and i'm also property manager down there so we're kind of looped into stuff because you've been here for 20 years so you yes. see i mean more than 20 years yes. but the studio was 20 years so you see all the transformation in the city and you work actively with musician and creative yes. person so is the city is fading i mean the artists in the city yeah. are moving out no yeah. this is like a, it's a matter of fact it's fact, it's fact. yeah it's a bloodbath yeah, uh, but you know, you still work with that with with artists. You still work with music, and actually, you uh, recently it's like two years ago or one and a half years ago, you opened uh, in Auckland, the Tiny Telephone Auckland. Right? Yes. So you are expanding. Yes, the Oakland studio doesn't feel vulnerable to me because the landlord owns the building. He's a really close friend of mine. He's a music producer. His name's Tommy McElroy. He's a total badass. He did all the In Vogue, Tony, Tony, Tony stuff. He's just a he's a killer player. He's a killer producer. So we uh, that feels like stable. It's stable. Yeah. He's created a kind of a system of. It's all studios over there. It's in North Oakland. Um, and that's a, that's a great space. I mean, that's, that, that room has like 23 foot ceilings. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty old. It's more like an old school, like LA, like uh, the B room of ocean way. It's kind of like more modeled around that dimension wise, or like one of the rooms in, um, in A&M, the new Henson studio, but, but my new obsession is actually to build a studio in LA. So that's all I think about is like, is going splitting time in LA and, my obsession now, because partially because the volatility of, of the Bay Area, I mean, I, I love it here, but L.A. is like, it's amazing. Yeah. I go down to L.A., it's actually harder for me to, I, I have more like social options down there than I do up here, you know. And my obsession now is to open a studio on the east side, like at Water Village or east of that, and um, build a two-room studio. I'm talking to John Congleton, who's a producer, about partnering up and kind of building a two-room studio down there. I mean, it, I'm I'm so broke financially right now that it would be 
that would be completely contingent on some someone stepping forward and throwing a lot of their good money after my weird fantasies. But I love living here, but it feels so volatile. This is the interesting thing is that for, for many, I would say for at least 10 years, more than 50% of our clientele has been out of town. So it's been like a mix of a lot of West Coast bands. And then I, I would say like 25% of the people that come in are, are from L.A., Another 25% are Portland, Seattle, you know, Eugene, Nevada City, you name it. Okay. And then there's a percentage of, of bands that have always been East Coast and Europe. We haven't had to rely on the Bay Area as much because of that. But even still, we've seen a complete change in the Bay Area bands that record here. When all the tech companies started going to, over to Oakland and started buying up buildings, and there was that big scare with, I guess, I think Uber pulled out of that sale, but there's... You know, stuff happened with downtown Oakland that was just like it was horrific to watch. I mean, if you've had it with tech companies and then they start going into Oakland, you're like, man, I need to get out of here because this is like night of the living dead shit, you know. But like because of Ghost Ship, because of all the money going into to, to Oakland, Oakland's been fucked over, too, you know, and that that was really depressing to watch because it felt like Oakland was just going to be had a like a limitless um, future as far as being like a weirdo art place. And it feels like Oakland kind of like got fucked, you know? And so LA is certainly more expensive, but there's so much, there's so much real estate in the East. I mean, you can keep going out to Alhambra. You can just keep going out, you know? I mean, shit, some people are going out to the desert. So it feels like geographically we're a little hemmed in here and LA is more of like the the, it's the Wild West. It's why I came to California. Like you say, it's the the, the Wild West now. No? Yes. It's, uh, more than San Francisco, there is more like the seven by seven. It's it's taken. It's it's taken. It's kind of taken. It's like, taken. It's, yeah, there were grand, uh, great stuff here. Like the in Sosalito, there was the plant where you got the your uh, your main board. Yes. the Neve board. Yes, I got very, extremely lucky yeah. actually to buy that. So the plant, the the re recording plant in Sosalito, historically very very famous studio. I think it was constructed sometime in the seventies. Was kind of shut down more or less ten years ago. The previous owner of the plant name was Arnie Frager. I think he was involved in some maybe not. He, I don't think he was super ethical. I think we can safely say that without fear of, yeah. of lawsuits. <laughs> I really have zero fear that that's liable. But um, so he's a scammer, and he borrowed money from someone, and then he defaulted on the loan, and then he kind of the guy for the loan got like I think it was four consoles, three or four consoles, and then Arnie sold one of those consoles out from under him before he could like like reclaim it. So he was in a hurry to sell three Neves. I bought one of them for what I thought was well under market. And I spent about two years rebuilding it with Gary Kreiman and Dave Tick, who are badass Neve people. They're just totally badass. So that the console in the Oakland studio is a 64 channel Neve 8068 made in 1976. Um, it has what I think were the best Neve input modules ever made, 31102s. And that console changed my life i mean that's like i mean you build the studio around the console no? yes because we, you, you get yeah. the console first you don't have a yeah. place to store it so you get yes. it there and then you find the studio and then, yeah exactly so, you know. and actually it's funny because we couldn't even rent a um we couldn't even rent a storage space because it's 12 be, feet, foot long yeah. and we couldn't even move it it took 14 people to move it oh. so 
the we, we did we put it in the when we finally rented the space in Tommy McElroy's building in North Oakland, we just put it in a part of the studio where we thought we'd build the control room. We covered it up and then built the control room around it. So it was like, it was, I mean, it was incredibly painful, like experience to try to pay for the console and then pay for the construction at the same time. It was really. But you brutal. did it. No, like you, you also started a, a Kickstarter campaign. Yes, that helped. You got funded, yeah. you know, like, yes. you know, like our work pays, no? Sometimes, yes. you know, if you have an idea and you want to pursue it and make yes. it happen, no, can can happen. Well, actually, all the the funding for Oakland actually came from uh, tech people. I, I I would just keep relentlessly hammering people on Twitter and and um, and Tumblr and Facebook, just saying, "Hey, we're out of money. Can anyone loan us, you know, fifty grand at three percent?" And the only people, of course, who have that kind of money, it was actually, believe it or not, it was ninety percent programmers. That like people who were very like most of them didn't even want to meet me. They just would send me a check. I would send them like kind of like some downloaded securitized loan form and then I would pay them back over seven years. So I, I have three more years on all those loans. So, you know, like, uh, I mean, there is um, the point is that um, in the Bay Area, there is so much money, you know, but yes. it should be funneled more into the arts. Like, yes. Kind of. No, like it's, uh, well, that's, it just comes down to, to 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 um to, to the tax code and that's why Trump's tax bill is like the worst thing. I mean that's the let's see, dismantling the EPA is doing doing a million horrible 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 things. But this tax stuff is going to fuck us up for a long time. You've been um, a democratic and a social uh, engineer, yes. engineer. Yeah. So you always been an uh, uh, advocate of like transparent uh, fees for yes. your studio. Yes. And also, you know, I mean, we, you have like great points with that, no? Because you never know like a band is coming to you, and they are no success, but they are rich or not. So you yes. never know. You can, you can, uh, if somebody has. Yeah, a, you, you, we have to ask for their tax returns. I mean, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. a lot of rich people look; they pretend that they're poor, and yeah. vice versa. So you've been uh, always an advocate, no? Yes. Like uh, of you know fair rates, and uh, I mean, it's uh, on the website, no? Yes. If you go to Tiny Telephone. You see that it's like 275 for a day plus yeah. the engineer. I try to see the beauty out of it. I, I love the Bay Area. I, I'm living here. I, fe I feel home here. No? Yes. I mean, it's uh, it's kind of, uh, we have to be realistic. No. Yes. We got to do, I mean, something to change it or there is nothing to do for changing it. Well, I think that all we can do is that you, you know, when Trump got elected, I, I got, I probably went into like four months of like, I mean, I was like super suicidal. I actually went on uh, uh, antidepressants for the first time in my life. I mean, there was other shit that was happening in my life. But the the only way I crawled out of it was that I thought, you know what? I can just take care of the really, really small world that I'm in. Do you know what I mean? I can, I can just look at where I live, my two cats, my friends, the people that I love and adore, the recording studio, the people that work there the people that that are in this really really small like sub county let's call it county vanderslice we all have our counties right so i thought all i can do is like be the best person that i can in this small system i think that that's the one way to 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 be the most ethical and best version of yourself and of course listen we're weak we're fucked up we we have these demons like it's not going to be perfect but if we can like be as realized as we can within that system. And for me, I thought, you know what? I'm not going to 
I can't freak out about who's coming and going in the Bay Area. I can't worry about what Jeff Sessions says or doesn't say about marijuana. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like all I can do is like try to employ people, try to make sure that they have like a 401k and a Vanguard account, try to make sure that they have health insurance, try to make sure that bands coming in are having an incredibly creative time and that everything that we do is under market. So I just tried to limit what I was interested in doing and what I could, what I think that I could accomplish in the world. And I think that that was helpful. So, I mean, all I try to do in my life is, is I try to be a net positive. You know, I try to be, you know, overall a net positive to the people in my world and to try to run a business that where the employees are happy and that the bands are getting something under market. And so the the kind of the transactional um, thing creates goodwill and art. And that, that's that's I just limited what I could do to that. And, and it, it really helps, I think. Yeah, but also, you know, like, um, um, you know, we are living in some dark age right now. Yes. Right? Like dark, it's a dark era. But, you know, at the same time, you know, as, as an Italian, I, I lived 20 years of Berlusconi. Yes, in yeah, my, in, my own, uh, in my own flesh, you know, like, it's a, so, you know, this uh, kind of develops uh, kind of like a sense of resistance. Yes. And also put people together, you know? Yes. Because, yeah. you know, like, you never probably felt that much uh, in, in, in need of your own community, you know? Yes. So, like you said before, no, you were taking care of, like, your county, the, the yes. Bundeslice County, you know? Yes. So, you know, you need that in the moment that are dark, dark eras, you make community yes. and you re rely on the, your community because it's the most important thing you, at the end of the day, you know, you have, no? I, I just had to be really careful because, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think I have, I've experienced more depression than, than I had yeah. in 2017. Yeah. We have to keep ourselves alive too, you know? I mean, there's, there's like, uh, there's real problems out there with just trying to stay alive, you know? Since this interview, John Vanderslice followed through on his threat. He moved to L.A. But you know what? I'm happy for him. And Tiny Telephone is still operating in Oakland, so we didn't lose everything. Also, in August, he released a new EP, which you should definitely check out. It's called EP, spelled with seven E's and an exclamation mark at the end, expressing the appropriate level of excitement for this delightful body of work. So, with John's permission, this is Song for Leopold.
find Song for Leopold on John Vanderslice's latest EP and learn more about Tiny Telephone recording at tinytelephone.com. Nino has been a DJ at BFF on his show Espresso Sesh since January 2016. When we went into shelter in place, Nino did something really special. He started DJing his show live from his kitchen And if you tuned in through Facebook Live, you'd get an incredible Italian pasta cooking class along with the great music. Half a year into this, I wanted to know how Nino is coping right now. So I'm keeping myself sane and engaged this time through cooking, you know, like cooking some um, nice Italian recipe where I'm from, you know. And uh, definitely I have... um, hope for the future. I love music and I love, uh, you know, the good vibes. So they, this thing cannot die, you know, we are fighting for it. And why listen to Espresso Sesh? Because, um, you know, it's a mutant thing and always evolve for the better, I hope. Listen to Espresso Sesh on BFF.fm Tuesdays, 2 to 4 p.m. This episode was edited by Jonathan Sosa and produced by me, Lily Sloan. Theme tune also by me. If you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen, leave a review, and follow the show on Twitter at InFreakPodcast. That's I-N-F-R-E-Q podcast. And you can discover more shows like this from our new podcast network at bff.fm slash podcasts. And if you've got an idea for a show, you're already making one, or you want to provide some support and mentorship to an indie producer as part of a cool community, please check out our application form. And hey, thanks for listening. I appreciate you. is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcasts.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.